you have the chance to win a Spring Super Sweeps from LAist. Donate $60 for one entry to win a brand new Lexus or $25,000 in cash. Check out all the other prizes too when you donate now at LAist.com sweeps. I'm Tracy Thomas, host of One for the Books, a live literary event series from LAist. We are back with guests, author Amanda Montel and actor Bella Lavelle. You can find us on May 15th at the Crawford Family Forum. Tickets at LAist.com events. I have to admit something. What what is our earthquake plan right now? <laughs> exactly. We don't have a plan. What if we're nowhere near the house? You know our kids Lev is at the house with a nanny. And we're at work. I'm in Pasadena and you're in Sherman Oaks. So all of us are about 40 minutes from each other over many, many freeways. Do you think about that at all, that possibly happening? An earthquake hitting when we're all separated? Yeah, I think about that happening, and I think I would just totally panic. I mean, I think that my first instinct would probably be to get into the car and get home as fast as I could to make sure that Lev and... And Becky were okay. Do you think you'd be able to get home? I don't know. I mean, I can take city streets home. Like, I don't necessarily need to take the freeway. But it would depend on if there's gas lines broken, if there's water mains that are broken. Plus, I'm sure a million people would be out on the road trying to get somewhere if there was a huge earthquake and it was the middle of the workday. Yeah, that would be really terrifying. I worry about that, for sure. This earthquake will probably hit before my son turns 30. He's nine months old right now. And I'm terrified. I wonder if he's going to be okay. I worry about whether or not Lev is safe probably 200% of the time. I think about it all the time. And I think that's pretty normal, especially as a new mother. Is my baby safe? When you're a parent, it's the first thing that comes to mind when you wake up. It's the last little mental check you do when drifting off to sleep. Is my baby safe? We live in Northridge, which was leveled by a 6.7 magnitude earthquake in 1994. We moved into the house late last year, right around the time Lev was born. We've been a little distracted. You can do all the things. As of today, we have no extra food. We have no water, no first aid kits. We don't even have a plan. How do we even figure out what our plan is? I want to be prepared. Like, I already know that I'm going to lose my SHIT. Like, I... I want to mitigate that as much as I can so that I don't feel like a total moron when the big one hits and I'm like, oh my God, we don't have water. Oh my God, we don't have food. Like, I don't want to be in that situation. I don't know. I mean, like, I feel like there's so many things to worry about. I don't even know where to start. Can you imagine being in the big one and not being with your baby boy? I can imagine it. Um, 
I think it would be really terrifying and and heart-wrenching and stressful and I'm sure that I would do everything in my power to make sure I could get to him. I would walk, I would swim, I would cross precarious paths. You'd shoot, murder, and kill? I'd shoot, murder, and kill. Well, I don't have a gun, but maybe I'll take those Krav Maga classes. If it happened tomorrow, my wife and I, we'd be screwed. I know I'm going to be freaking out, and I know I'm going to be asking myself, is my baby safe? Who are you worried about? Who do you need to get to? And how are you going to get there? I'm Jacob Margolis, and this is the big one, your survival guide. Episode two, The Walk. Imagine if you could charge your electric vehicle at the places you already love to eat, shop, and play. Whether you're at the movies, on your weekly grocery trip, or running errands at your local mall, Volta EV charging stations are built around your day-to-day and located in your community and nationwide. All you have to do is check in, plug in, and go about your day. It's EV charging made convenient. Download the Volta app to find your new favorite place to charge. Alliest has a new live event series with the James Beard Foundation. We Are Where We Eat will go behind the scenes of some of your favorite L.A. restaurants to find out how and why they do what they do. I'm Austin Cross. Join me for the first event where we'll explore how restaurants help make a neighborhood and we'll all have something delicious to eat afterwards. It's May 22nd at the Crawford. Get your tickets now at LAist.com events. from the California Emergency Management Agency. Stronger shaking could follow the earthquake that already hit our area. It's safer to stay off the road right now. But if you must drive and the shaking starts again, pull over and stop at the first open, safe place you can find. Avoid all underpasses, power lines, and overhanging signs. If stopped, stay inside your car. If driving on a bridge or an overpass, Carefully continue moving until you're off the bridge. Then look for a safe, open place to stop until the shaking passes. And stay tuned to this station for more Your feet hurt, so you sit down on the sidewalk. You've made it through downtown LA, past your favorite taco stand, crossed over the 110 freeway with abandoned cars everywhere. A woman touches your shoulder. 
Are you okay? I don't know, you say. A couple of buildings have caught fire down the street. Flames roaring, black smoke rising. Smell it here is terrible. Sewage and burning chemicals. No one seems to know what to do. Everyone's calling 911, but no one's getting through. You can hear fire trucks running across the city, but they're not close. The woman asks you, when will they send help? You shrug your shoulders. I don't know. We're better prepared for the big one than any big city in America, which is to say we're woefully unprepared. L.A.'s Mayor Eric Garcetti is worried. 40,000 city employees sounds like a lot, but when a disaster hits, they each have families, they have neighborhoods that they're living in, they may or may not be at work at any given time, and that spreads thin very quickly. Does more need to be done? Every day. Every person listening to this has something they can do today more than they. No listener is 100% prepared. Not even you? Not even me. There are 88 cities in LA County alone, and there aren't enough emergency responders to help everyone. So, to get outside help, the mayor's gotta declare a state of emergency. Then, the governor will act. Not the sugarcoat is that this is a bad day. When California has bad days, Mark Gillarducci is in charge of the response. He runs the governor's Office of Emergency Services. People tend to have what I call sort of a 911 syndrome. They, they feel like, you know, they're used to dialing 911 and getting all the resources that they're going to be able to get to deal with their crisis. In this set of circumstances, it's not going to be the case. You know, you, you, you may be on your own for, uh, a, a highly likely that you'll be on your own for a period of time. Mark's going to get an alert on his phone, letting him know the big one's hit. So we're going to start activating fire strike teams and search and rescue teams from throughout the state. We're going to activate the National Guard early on. Then the president will declare a major disaster. And then FEMA gets involved. Agencies will talk via radios and satellite phones, coordinate help, send resources, but it'll take time. It could be more than a day before outside help shows up. And if you're trapped in a building, time matters. People don't last more than 48 hours, usually. Uh, if you had stuck a couple of bottles of water under your desk, you're going to be lasting a lot longer. You get a text from your wife. I can't get a hold of anyone at school. I've been stuck in traffic for hours. What should I do? You're desperate to get to your family, but roads are backed up, trains are down. Walking home all the way to North Hollywood is your only choice. Up Sunset Boulevard, through Silver Lake, then over the Santa Monica Mountains. It's about 15 miles. On a good day, this walk takes five hours. But today is not a good day. It's 12.30. You worry you won't get home before dark. This is a special safety message from the California Emergency Management Agency. 
Following an earthquake, a hot meal can help everyone feel better and calmer. It's not too early to start feeding people, but plan your meals carefully. Read the helpful information in the Survival Guide section near the front of your telephone directory. And stay tuned to this station for more information from the California Emergency Management Agency. It's hot. You're thirsty. You can still feel the dust in your throat. You notice a grocery store across the street. Cars fighting for spaces in the parking lot. There are more people here than you expected. You get closer and notice that the automatic doors are stuck on open. Store's dark. You head in. You're going to see a place that can't take credit cards. Because without electricity and internet, you can't verify the credit card. So you probably want to keep some cash on you. Because you never know when an earthquake can hit. And having $20, $40 in your pocket means you can go buy that bottle of water. Two guys walk past you, carrying tanks of propane. There's a couple of employees sitting by the door, just staring at their phones, trying to get service. A mom's pulling her crying kids through the bread aisle. There's more food on the floor than on the shelves. And it smells. Like spaghetti sauce, beer, and fish. Which way is the water? You ask a young woman who works there. It's in the back. It's left of it anyway. You walk down the aisle, and with every step, glass and cereal crunch beneath your feet. At the back of the store, you see a cooler. There's not much left, so you go to grab the last two bottles of water. You slip on a puddle of milk. You pick yourself up, and you head to the register. Shit, do I even have any cash? When we talk about looting, we're talking about breaking into locations and stealing things. Now, mind you, we're in a different world. When this earthquake hits, and it's of that type of magnitude, you have to look at the letter of the law and the spirit of the law. Phil Fontanetta. I'm a commander with the Los Angeles Police Department, and I've been with LAPD for a little over 38 years. If you see somebody walking down the street with a case of water, then that's a case of water. And it's just a, it's the sustainment of life. That's understandable. What breaks my heart is when I do see looters and they're stealing a TV and they're stealing not something that's going to sustain life. It's 90 degrees out. You haven't had food since eight. But are you really just going to walk out? Yes. Yes, you are. You grab a peanut butter protein bar, stick it in your pocket, and leave. This is a special safety message from the California Emergency Management Agency. There's been a strong earthquake and stronger shaking is possible in our area. The police and fire departments are aware of the situation and are busy responding to the most serious problems first. Stay tuned to this station for more information from the California Emergency Management Agency. You didn't notice him before, but outside the grocery store, there's a guy sitting up against the wall. 
He's holding his shoulder. Hey, are you okay? He doesn't answer. We crouch down and ask him again. Do you need help? He groans. It's my arm, he says. You hear a siren and look up. A fire truck's pushing through traffic and you tell him to wait, you're gonna go get help. You run over and wave your arms and scream, stop! But they don't. People need to understand that they might be in danger, but somebody down the road might be in worse danger, or there's a fire that if it's not put out, it could lead to more fires and damage a whole neighborhood. Captain John Ignatzik is with the Los Angeles Fire Department. After the earthquake, he and other firefighters and police and sheriffs will all go into what they call earthquake mode, trying to triage the city. First, they'll check their own buildings and account for their own people. And then they do what's called a windshield survey. Driving through neighborhoods, documenting how bad things are so they can let headquarters know. But it probably means that you'll see police officers and firefighters, people who can help you, just drive by and not stop. Should people rely, feel like they can rely on emergency services right after the quake hits? The recommendation is that people need to get prepared for a delay in response. The most important is going to be our critical patients, those that need immediate uh, assistance, where their injuries are going to be a hazard to their life or their health. That's the priority. And in that scenario, we have over a thousand criticals, uh, I believe, that need to get to hospitals. Those are going to be the priority. We're going to have fires and conflagrations. We want to stop those and we want to transport the criticals to the hospitals. You walk back over. He's wearing a Dodger shirt, same one you almost sent your dad for his birthday. There's a hospital about a mile from here, you tell him. You reach out to help him up. Your phone vibrates. I've got Omar. He's fine. We're heading back home. Where are you? Okay. I'm walking home. I'm in Silver Lake. Be home as soon as I can. I love you. You just want to get home. You can't leave this guy. He keeps apologizing to you like the whole thing's his fault. I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. I was just at the bookstore and it was like someone was throwing books off the shelf at me and it was just so loud in there. How did you break your arm? I can't remember, he says. I'm sorry. This is a special safety message from the California Emergency Management Agency, the most available source of help for your family, friends, and neighbors right now is you. If your area has damage, check in with the other people nearby, your family, neighbors, or co-workers. Use the first aid information in the front of the telephone book to treat any injuries. Small children and elders will need special attention and reassurance even if they seem okay. People with special needs may need a little extra help too. And stay tuned to this station for more information from the California Emergency Management Agency. The LAS Spring Super Sweeps is happening now. You can win amazing prizes while supporting your source for local fact-based journalism. 
one lucky grand prize winner will get to choose a brand new Lexus or $25,000 in cash. Other prizes include an electric bike from Juice Bikes and $1,000 gas gift cards. Your donation of $60 gets you one entry to win. And the more you give, the more entries you get. Donate now at Elias.com slash sweeps. Hi, I'm Tracy Thomas, host of One for the Books, and we are back for another round. This is clearly an NPR audience. (laughs) I think they're so smart. What the hell? My guests this time are actor Vela Lavelle and author Amanda Montel, whose new book, The Age of Magical Overthinking, is out now. Join us on May 15th at the Crawford Family Forum for book talk, trivia, and hot takes. Tickets can be found at laist.com slash events. I didn't know if my house was in shambles. I didn't know if my wife was buried under rubble. Uh, and the there were no, you know, I couldn't get a cell signal. And so I just had to focus on what we were doing there and say, okay, well, we've got to do what we have to do here in the emergency department. And if there's a problem at home, I can't help with it now regardless. It's 4.30 in the morning and Dr. Greg Moran's doing some paperwork at his desk. He's wrapping up his overnight shift at the emergency department at Northridge Hospital. When all of a sudden, the Northridge quake hits. I initially felt a little shake, so I just kind of reflexively stood up and got in the doorway that was right next to me, uh, just a couple feet away from me. Uh, And... As I, right as I got in the doorway, then a very violent shake happened. I mean, it felt like everything moved a couple of feet <laughs> into one side very suddenly. And then there was a lot of noise. And when that big shake happened, all of the lights went out. We, we lost our power. I, I really, I, I realized I was pretty helpless. There wasn't really anything I could do other than stand there and hope that the entire hospital building was not going to collapse on top of me. The shaking finally stops. The lights come back on and it's chaos. Computers are on the floor. Carts have tipped over. Water's pouring out of the ceiling and there's a thick cloud of dust in the air. The room that I had been sitting in, uh, this very small doctor's office, was a couple of rooms away from the outside of the hospital. But the wall opened up. The wall of the room that I was sitting in split open by about six inches, and I could look through into the room next to it, which was the waiting room, and then through that entire room, and there was another wall on the outside that had also cracked open, so I could see through two rooms to the outside of the building uh, because the the very hospital cracked. Uh, You know, the, the building itself cracked and split. Moran checks on his colleagues, and luckily everyone's okay. They have no idea just how bad things are. There was an information blackout at first. We didn't, we didn't know what the extent of it was. As it turned out, we were pretty much at the epicenter or very near the epicenter of the earthquake. It took a while before we even got any reliable information about what was going on. Uh, it wasn't until a little bit later as we started to seeing some police and first responders coming in that we got at least some secondhand information about the extent of it, where it was located, what was the extent of the devastation in the city. They know a bunch of people are going to show up at the hospital, but their emergency department is completely ruined. There's no way they're going to be able to treat people in there. So they head outside to work on people in the parking lot. 
and as we were setting it up, we, we already were seeing some of that initial wave of the walking wounded come in. And I do remember, you know, it was dark, it was nighttime. And I, I, I have this image in my head of almost a, you know, zombie apocalypse type scenario of just seeing the people who are kind of injured and kind of slowly lumbering out of the, of the dark to, to come into the parking lot where we were assessing them. So then we, we basically just started to work. There were a few critical people that we saw coming in. I, I remember one of the very first patients that we saw was a poor guy who worked in a donut shop and had gone in early to open up the donut shop. And as all the shaking happened, the hot oil for the donuts splashed him and he had pretty extensive bad burns over a good part of his body. Uh, and so uh, he was one of the early ones that showed up. He was one of the sicker early ones that showed up. Most people aren't nearly as hurt as him. The most common injury Moran sees is people that need help getting glass out of their feet. And that was because the time this happened at 4.30 a.m., people are in bed. Uh, the shaking starts. They get thrown out of bed. They, you know, hear everything crashing and shaking. They kind of freak out. And what's their first instinct? Run outside. And often they're running outside through broken around broken glass sliding doors, broken windows, things like that. There's stuff shattered. It's 4.30 in the morning. They're in bed. They're barefoot. And so they're running through their house and stepping on broken glass or stepping on broken glass as they get outside. We spent a lot of time digging little pieces of glass out of the bottoms of people's feet. The hospital's overwhelmed, but Greg, Greg's totally focused. He's treating as many people as he can, but to his surprise, there are all these people showing up who aren't hurt. They're just freaking out. I remember there was this one relatively young guy, and he'd he'd had a prior spinal injury. He was in a wheelchair from a prior spinal injury. He, he was paraplegic, and he didn't have any injuries. There were no new injuries from the earthquake, but he was just freaking out. He, I mean, he just lost it. Do you and remember what he was saying? He was just saying, he was just saying, no, you need to take care of me. You need to help me. You need to, I'm, you know, and... You know, I, I did an assessment of him. He had no physical injuries, but he was just, you know, basically screaming, carrying on. At one point, I remember he like threw himself down on the floor out of his wheelchair and was just screaming that we needed to help him. And uh, I, I didn't know what to do. For, I mean, other than, you know, give him some sedatives, which we did and just try to, you know, put him back in his wheelchair. But I the. One reason that one particularly stands out was that he was actually kind of interfering with us taking care of other people who were injured. Was he okay? Once he was he... okay. Okay. When the big one hits, hospitals across Southern California are going to be overwhelmed. There are going to be about 50,000 people that need help. Some hospitals themselves are going to be damaged. Some won't even be usable. The reality is right now in America, in emergency medicine, we sometimes struggle day to day just to keep up with the regular flow. If you've ever been to an emergency room, you know that it can take forever to get treated. And when this happens, that wait's going to be even longer, especially if you're not that badly hurt. But even if you do have a serious injury, well, do you feel like more people will die from serious injuries that could have been treated during a normal, normal time versus when the big one hits and hospitals are overwhelmed? Yes. But we expect that will happen, yes. You're standing across the street from the hospital and it's chaos. 
Doctors and nurses are running around outside, lines of people waiting to be treated. You get another text from your wife. Hey, the house is pretty bad. How far are you? You tell the guy you can't stay with him, and this time, you apologize. I know, he says. I'll be fine. This is a special safety message from the California Emergency Management Agency. A strong earthquake has hit our area. Use a fire extinguisher to put out small fires. Never use water on electrical or gas fires. If the fire can't be controlled quickly, evacuate the building right away. Check for gas leaks. You finally get to the top of Runyon Canyon and walk up Mulholland Drive. You're cold. Down below, the city burns. Broken gas and power lines, small fires grow, merging, turning into giant walls of flame. Black clouds of smoke rise high into the sky, backlit by the setting sun. The Hollywood sign is barely visible. It's what fire officials were worried about all along. When an earthquake happens... It tends to damage the fire protective uh, characteristics of, of, of buildings, right? We have uh, fire-resistive walls, but then the earthquake cracks that wall and hot gases get through. And so fires spread more quickly uh, because of that. Structural engineer Keith Porter travels around the world to make sure that buildings are safe. Oh, and on top of that, also the water pipe in the ground that's supposed to bring water to the fire hydrant uh, – it gets cracked up in an earthquake, right? Because we had this old brittle pipe in the ground. It's decades and decades old. And even when the fire engine shows up, there's a good chance that in the strongly shaken area, there's no water coming out of the fire hydrant, nothing to fight the fire with. The fires are about as destructive and deadly as the shaking. Are you worried about the big one? Uh, yeah, I am. I mean, we live in this imperfect paradise and in our blissful ignorance usually, assuming... It's not going to really be under our watch or it's not going to be tomorrow. The thought of these fires keeps L.A.'s mayor up at night. Are you at all concerned about the long-term health of Los Angeles after the big quake? Yeah, I think the biggest, uh, I mean, the, the short-term thing that keeps me up to your earlier question is the fires that break out. The medium-term is the lack of electricity or water. And the long-term is would people stay? Would the city continue to be what it is if... It's so catastrophic that people leave and never come back. This could be the most expensive natural disaster in U.S. history, costing $200 billion in damage. An estimated 1,800 people will die. There won't be enough body bags for all of them. But Los Angeles, we all know, will be gone. You want to get off the mountain, so you run. Down Mulholland, through the Lancashire Tunnel, up Pacific View Drive. Is my family safe? You keep running. I don't know. I mean, I don't really feel like I have a lot of survival skills. I've been put I've been put in a lot of situations where it was like 
survive or die, you know? And so I don't feel super confident about my survival skills, but I know I would do whatever I needed to do, and I would do the best that I could do to make sure that he was safe and you were safe and that our family was safe. The journalists of LAist work for you. I'm LAist immigrant communities correspondent Leslie Bearstein Rojas. For many, this has been their only job since immigrating to the United States. My work connects communities, helping us discover one another, better understand how immigrants are changing LA and how LA changes immigrants. LAist independent journalism, fact based journalism. Before the credits, we have a correction for episode one. The Christchurch earthquake that Ann Brower talks about happened on February 22nd, a Tuesday, not a Sunday. It's credit time, and we've got a thousand people to talk about, including Misha Youssef, our lead producer, Arwen Champion Nix, our executive producer and the woman behind our sound design. Is that weird to say the woman behind our sound design? No, I'm very proud of the woman. Great, okay. Mary Knopf is our assistant producer. Megan Garvey edited all this. Our music was composed and performed by Andy Clausen. The guys who have to listen to me do 300 different takes are Sean Corey Campbell and Valentina Rivera. Our artwork is by Stephanie Kraft. This episode was written and reported by Misha Youssef, Arwen Nix, and me, Jacob Margolis. We got production reporting help for the big one from David Rodriguez. Our marketing hero is Alex Laughlin. And thanks to James Kim for his incredible posture. And thanks to Rita Pardue for voicing all our emergency messages. If you want to know how to purify contaminated drinking water with bleach or what will happen to you if you drink a bunch of pool water, despite all our warnings, you can check out our write-up at kpcc.org slash the big one. I'm your host, Jacob Margolis. Thanks for listening. Great. Good job, Jacob. Hey, big one listener. I'm back. This episode's even scarier, so I'm here to help. I'm Misha Youssef, in case you forgot my name. And I have three practical tips for you that are going to help you survive the big one. The first tip, get water. The recommendation is to get one gallon of water per person or animal per day. And that includes things like washing your hands or brushing your teeth. But that might be an overwhelming amount of water to get and figure out where to store in your house, especially if you live in an apartment. So what you can do is have a bottle of water everywhere you might be. So at your desk, at work, in your car, in your purse, and at least some at home. When we talked to Lucy Jones and asked her how much water we should have, she said, however much water you have, get more. Here's tip number two. Get a first aid kit or at the very least, get some gauze, get some burn cream and get some band-aids. Hospitals are going to be super overwhelmed and 
The injury that people saw most after Northridge was people with glass in their feet. So you want to put yourself in a position where you can take care of that yourself. Last one. Tip number three, get a radio. And I'm not just saying that because I work at a radio station. When the big one hits, you're not going to be able to get on Facebook. Internet's going to be down. You might not even be able to call people. So where are you going to get information? Hand crank radio. Or your car radio. Just a radio, people. Colorado River is running dry. Water may not reach millions of people. So if there's no water, there's no water for everybody. It's up to California's lead negotiator, a 28-year-old. This is a historic thing coming. And six other negotiators to find a solution. I want an agreement that lessens the pain for all of us, not just some of us. Listen to Imperfect Paradise, the Gen Z water dealmaker, wherever you get podcasts.